Great Commission Publications is a joint ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. The two denominations each furnish um, an equal number of, of uh, elders to serve on the board of directors. And um, technically, Great Commission was started by the Orthodox Presbyterian Church oh, probably 50-some years ago. Um, and then when the PCA came into existence in the 70s, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church sought us out and asked us, would we want to be involved in a joint ministry with them doing this publishing? And kind of tongue-in-cheek, they said, we have more PCA customers than we do OPC customers, but you guys are kind of the big kahuna um, type thing. And so we agreed to do that. So that's how the ministry got combined into one publishing house. Um, we we're headquartered in, in an uh, Atlanta suburb called Swanee. And um, they were started in Philadelphia, moved to Swanee. Um, let me kind of get my bearings. Probably in the early 90s, 92, something like that, moved to Atlanta. Um, anyway, um, we, we serve. Uh, obviously, our, our core uh, constituency, which would be the PCA, OPC, we're also endorsed by the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, it's a smaller, well, it's a, it's a really growing denomination. Uh, a lot of the churches that are leaving the Presbyterian United States of America, don't confuse you with all these different Presbyterian churches, they're tending to join the EPC more than they are any other denomination. So it is very, it's accelerating very rapidly with churches leaving the one denomination, joining that one anyway. They endorse us. They don't have a publishing ministry uh, of all, at all. And then the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, which is a small uh, Presbyterian denomination, uh, mostly in the Carolinas, uh, Virginia, that part of the country, uh, they also endorse us. Uh, as well. Um, so anyway, this gives a little background. And about half of our customers um, are not Presbyterians. They are some variety of something. <laughs> so we have some Methodists, some Anglicans, some uh, CRC churches, um, trying to think of other denominations, Evangelical Free Church, Independent Baptist kind of churches, Southern Baptists. Um, uh, anyway, probably I can't think of charismatic churches that we have for customers. But um, anyway, we serve a lot of other churches besides Presbyterian churches. But, you know, the common thread for them all is they want the biblical content of what we have. They may not agree with it all, but they agree with enough of it that they can't get anywhere else. Um, so we, we are the only um, consistently or thoroughly reformed Christian education publisher in the country. So if someone's, you know, in other words, if, if as, as a PCA church, whether you were PCA or not, if, if you have the doctrinal standards that you have at this church, we're the only publisher that you can buy Sunday school curriculum from that's going to adhere to those doctrinal standards. You know, there's just nothing else out there. So if you're a piece, if, if you guys decide, okay, we're going to use brand X Sunday school curriculum, it will not totally adhere to your doctrinal standards. I'm not saying you shouldn't use it, but you need to be going into it with wide-eyed that, you know, 
it's not unusual for me at, say, General Assembly or something to have a PCA pastor come up to me and say, Dan, I just found out, you know, we're using Brand X Sunday School curriculum at the church. I see the stuff my kids are bringing home. It isn't what I preach. That's the kind of stuff you'll bump into. Um, and, uh, and anyway, but that gives you an idea that, so those churches that, um, you know, the Baptist churches that use our curriculum, they face that. There's some things in here that do not adhere to their doctrinal standards, but they're willing to deal with that because they can't get the other things anywhere else. So, hope that helps a little bit. Yeah, I, I keep waiting for the Vatican to call us. <laughs> just, you know, I, I I told my boss, I said, I'll go preach there, you know. And, you know I think that, that little balcony the Pope comes out on, I can preach there, you know. And, 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 yeah, I never asked. I don't know. So, anyway, um, a lot for you to edit out this tape. <laughs> Uh, I keep forgetting I've got this on, so it's recording all <laughs> kinds of things. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so are you paying attention, Pope? Okay. All right, so. All right. All right, let's move on here uh, to talk about being a prepared teacher. All right. Um, this is another one of these fundamental things to good teaching, just like being Christ-centered, uh, God-focused in our teaching. Uh, teacher preparation is one of these fundamental things to teaching the Word of God that is so important, and not just the Word of God, but teaching anything. You know, if we're going to uh, teach our children diligently, you know, like we learned last night in Deuteronomy 6, it's going to take some preparation. Okay, you've got to plan this, you've got to think about it, you've got to organize it, that type of thing. There's three main areas I want to look, call, call your attention to as we look at this subject of preparing to teach. First one is getting yourself ready to teach. Second Roman numeral there is preparing your room. And third is preparing your lesson. Uh, and the first two, um, I think, allow us to do number three, prepare our lessons more effectively, and then execute those lesson plans more effectively. Uh, if we don't do number one and number two, and all we do is number three, a lot of times we'll struggle and have uh, difficulties because we're not personally prepared or our room's not ready for what we're hoping to do in it, <laughs> okay? And uh, a lot of this is borne out from just, uh, you know, personal experience and talking to thousands of Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders through the years. So let's talk about getting yourself ready to teach first of all. Um, as you think about getting yourself ready to teach, you, you need to take seriously the spiritual component of preparation. Are you personally prepared spiritually for the task? Right. Um, I have a retired Southern Baptist uh, pastor friend, and uh, if he was here, he would say, Dan, tell them they need to get prayed up. <laughs> Any of you from a Southern Baptist? <laughs> My Southern Baptist friend, he has got some vocabulary I understand what he means, it's just I never say it or hear it. <laughs> like, he, he, he doesn't call his pastor a pastor or a minister, he calls him the preacher. And I, okay, Ray, I, I know what you mean, it's the pastor. <laughs> so I'm doing this mental editing, which is, Dan, the preacher said. 
oh, the preacher said, what did, what did he say? <laughs> and uh, anyway, but uh, he would say, get prayed up. You know, how's your devotional life going? You know, do you have, you know, unconfessed anger in your life? Repent of those things. You know, if, if you've not read your Bible just to feed your own soul in the last week or two, turn to the Word of God and say, just God, speak to my heart here before I prepare this lesson. Okay, it's that kind of thing. Just what's going on spiritually with you and the Lord? Um, so walk with the Lord and abide in Christ is, is a critical part of getting yourself ready to teach. All right? Another thing that's important is to take advantage of training and enrichment. That's part of what we're doing here today. Um, I mean, avail yourself of, you know, books you can read. I brought a book that might be helpful for you. It's called Heirs of the Covenant. All right. Uh, it's by a lady named Susan Hunt. Um, it's a great book that talks about a, all these kind of things we've been talking about last night and this morning, God being God-focused and Christ-centered. It, she, she really does a good job giving us, as parents and as teachers, what is the biblical view of all of this Christian teaching and nurturing. You know, it's kind of, she kind of gives that bigger view and helps us get our arms around it. It's an excellent book. She's an excellent writer. Um, so I'd encourage you to consider that book um, to kind of help you think this through from a training and enrichment point of view. And if you think about enriching yourselves, talk to other teachers. Watch what they do. Listen to them. Interact with them. Look in their rooms. Learn from one another. Okay? Be enriched by each other uh, is what I'm driving at. You know, when you're on vacation, you go visit some church on a Sunday or something, go nose around, look in the room, see what's happening, you know, because you can learn things doing that. Um, it's a very, very important way to learn. I mean, so much of what I'm teaching you uh, today, someone taught me. All right? it, it's not like I sat down and thought, oh, I know what to say. Someone taught me these things, and I just happen to be the person who puts them together and brings them to you. And so enrich each other is enrichment is very, very important. Now, another thing about yourself that's so critical to deal with is this whole subject of letter C here on your handout, schedule and priority. You know, I haven't met a teacher yet that is going to class purposely unprepared. <laughs> You know, they're not staying home going, all right, my number one goal is to be as unprepared as possible. I'm never going to prepare. I'm going to stay away from that. I mean, the guy's teaching on it at the church. I'm saying, I'm not going to that. <laughs> not going to deal with that. No. Where do we fall down for preparation? It isn't intent. It isn't that we don't understand the importance of it or have felt the pain or the lack of it. It's schedule and priority. Okay? It, when are you going to prepare? I don't know. I, I can't, I don't live at your house. I don't have your job. I don't raise your kids. I, you know, I don't know when you're going to prepare, but you've got to set that schedule. You've got to make the priority choices of here's when I'm going to prepare. You get your husband or your wife to watch the kids, or you know, you get up at six o'clock in the morning, two days a week to do this. I don't know. You just got to figure this out and ask the Lord, God, what do I do? How do I have the time? How do I set the priorities? What do, I say to, what do I need to say no to so I can say yes to getting prepared? It's that kind of... And, and for most of us, it, 
it's we got to stop something so we can start being prepared. Any of you have blank do lists? Anybody got? <laughs> I I don't. I mean, you know, I'm not keeping them on this yet because it's too hard to manipulate. But man, I I still got my you know big day timer notebook kind of thing that I have all my do lists and I have you know the attack list off the do list <laughs> stuff like that you know and uh, you know it's not like if 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 I wake up tomorrow morning uh, tomorrow Sunday I knew what I'd be doing Sunday but I wake up Monday morning and go man there's nothing to do today or all week man I just have to pray God show me just one thing to do because there's nothing to do <laughs> uh, you know that in my problem probably isn't yours okay Something's calling to you all the time to be done. All right, so look at your schedule and your priorities and ask God, how are you going to order your life so you have time to prepare? And some of us, we like to prepare last minute, you know, right up to the, and then go teach. If that's how you do it, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? But I'm not that way. I'm one of these, I like to two or three weeks ahead, you know, I, I, I want it to simmer on the back burner a few times. I want to get it out and go, oh, my, good thing I'm looking at this again because that, that is not a so good idea. I don't want to got that scripture reference wrong. <laughs> okay, see what I'm saying? Uh, and so, you know, and then there's some everything in between. Okay, so you figure out how it works best for you and uh, you set your schedule and your priorities. So think about yourself. Where are you spiritually? What's going on there? Take advantage of the training, enrich yourself, talk to other teachers, those kinds of things, work on your schedule and priorities. And folks, preparation is a fundamental to good teaching. We will always work on this. It never stops. If you think it will, you're in the wrong, wrong deal here, okay? And, uh, you know, we have to recognize we're going to keep on keeping after this. We're going to be everlastingly doing these things as long as we're teaching. All right? That's a part of being an effective teacher. That's part of what we need to tell people when they consider to become teachers. We need to say, you have to, you have to get discipline yourself to prepare. You've got to budget time to prepare. You've got to be ready spiritually. You've got to be on top of things with your schedule to get this done. All right, Roman numeral number two. Um, we have to work on our rooms. All right, now... The reason I put this in here was because I learned too many times I'd, I'd, I think I'd have kind of number one straightened around and have number three straight, and then I'd show up to my room. And it's like, ugh, and I'm scrambling because I was planning on something and my room wasn't ready. And somebody taught me, well, Dan, you have to prepare your room so it doesn't foul up your lesson plan and foul up what you planned to teach, okay? Ah, therefore, Roman numeral number two. So let me talk about this for a few minutes. It's our job as teachers to manage the, you know, the, the tables, the chairs, the furnishings, whatever's here, okay? In other words, if you think it'd be better to turn the tables a different way and that would work better, do that. Now, maybe you need to put them back, okay? Or maybe it'd be better if you took the tables down and all sat on the floor. Don't try that with a senior adult class, okay? <laughs> All right, you know, they'd probably have to have a special session meeting if that was done, okay? So, All right, but anyway, it's our job to manage this stuff, okay? If, you're, if you've got, you know, a write on board, or you know, if you've got the TV, you, know, you, you got to figure out how this is going to be and what to do with it. That's part of your job as a teacher, to manage that equipment, those kinds of things. And let me just make a, 
a comment about that. Part of what you do with the tables, chairs, furnishings, all these kinds of things may be to meet with the finance committee or the Christian Ed committee or the session or the buildings and grounds people or who I don't know who all how this is all organized here and every church does it a little different and stuff. But you know, maybe you need one of these in your room and you don't have one. Well you need to work with the system to get this. Okay? Now I don't know who got this right on board, but I'm gonna use it a little bit. Okay. But I'm thankful they did it. We might not even know who they are. Maybe maybe they're not even going to the church anymore. I, I don't know what but and I don't know where the money came from, but this is nice. All right. And I'm thankful they did it. We just all take advantage of it. It's just here. We just use it. I mean, think about it. Somebody decided to buy these tables and figured this all out and got these here, and they're here, and we just use them. Okay. So some of this facility management kind of classroom management uh, type of things here, these can be our love gifts to the next generation. Who's coming after us is going to use this stuff? Or, or the folks we don't even, you know, we get the stuff for our room, and then the next thing you know, the, you know, a bunch of men are having a 6 o'clock Bible study and here using these same tables. But we're the, see what I'm driving at? So there's a broader piece to this of us being good stewards of this property and this facility. There's going to be people here till, Lord, till the Lord comes, Lord, you know, see what I'm driving at? And let's, let's take care of it and make it better for them. Then letter B, we all have to work on this cleanliness and orderliness function. I, I don't care, you know, if, if your church has, you know, five full-time custodians. We still need to all help keep it straightened up and picked up and, you know, not smash it and break it and report the lights out and whatever kind of stuff's going on. That's just part of being here is picking up the trash. And, you know, if we're teaching children, it's critical that we teach them to be good stewards of these things. You know, one of the, the things that I is, I'm really blessed with is I get to go to a lot of old churches. And I get to go in these buildings and I think, you know, people have been taking care of this thing for 50, 75, 100 years. It's really nice. They're working at it. And, and they've got some concept of Christian stewardship there. This is an entrustment from God and they're going to take care of it for who's coming next. Okay. <clears throat> So anyway, work on the cleanliness and orderliness. Another thing here to think about your room is how you have it arranged. All right? Maybe think about it in these terms. Um, do people tend to sit in the same seats? I remember from last night where you all were sitting. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's all these people, these people down there. Yeah, down there. Okay, now, that, here's another question. Um, I, I've noticed people tend to try to park their cars in the same parking spot. They go in and out the same door. Okay, all right. Um, now, <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right. Good point. <laughs> Let me talk about some an, another issue here. <laughs> However, um, it can produce a certain measure of boredom that we have to watch out for. Okay, and it isn't wrong. 
don't hear me say that. There's nothing sinful about sitting in the same seat or parking in the same place or going to the same door. Okay. However, we want to be engaged with what we're doing. And, the, and, and we all need routine. And that gets at a lot of the, we need the routine of things. Okay. But we need some healthy variety in our routine. All right? Because it will help us to deal with the boredom and the routine that's dulling us. Okay, that's the point. So as you think about arranging your room, think about potentially, you know, rearranging two or three or four times a year. Not every week. That's too often. Okay, that's too scary for even adults. Okay, um, and for little children, it freak them out. Okay, and uh, they'll be crying, going, "My chair! Where's my chair?" Okay, stuff like that. Um, anyway. So think about your arrangement. I got this idea from a teacher, and she had a quarterly room arrangement plan, or a quarterly room rearrangement plan, maybe is another way to say it. Okay? And it isn't you know, that there was some radical change. It's just a little bit different so that people, the children in her case, or the adults, it piqued their attention a little bit. That's the idea. Okay? So think about that. I, was, I can remember. One other time, I was with a, doing training at a church. It was for adult teachers. And there were these two ladies, and they taught the, the ladies' Bible class at their church. And they said, you know, we had the hardest time with everybody sitting in the back. Nobody will sit up the front. And I said, well, let's go look at your room. So at the break, we went and looked at the room. And, the, and this room really reminds me of it, okay? It, it was, a, it was more of a narrow rectangle like this. And they had the chairs all set up in rows with a center aisle. And aisle down the side, you got it and stuff. And, and they said, yeah, you know, really, we, we have enough people that they feel like the back half. And hardly anybody sits in the front half. I said, well, I, I said, yeah, all you got to do is take down the chairs. Whoa! Well, these two, these two ladies... They commenced folding up the, I mean, they're going like this. And before we left the break, they had half the chairs taken down. They said, we fixed it. <laughs> they had just never thought about that. They thought, how can we get them to come up front? How, we'll just take some chairs down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So th those are kind of arrangement things and classroom uh, utilization issues we're talking about. All right, next, lastly here under your room, let's think about visuals. Okay. What kind of visuals do you have in your room? I mean, what is there to look at? <laughs> okay, we got the clock with the big big hand on it. Okay, and uh, but l let me talk about visuals for just just a moment here. And and, and this room is illustrative of some of the issues here. Um, no one pays a hundred percent of attention. Okay, you've not done it as I'm trying to teach and. You know, what's even interesting is 
I've not done it, and I'm doing the teaching. Okay. So in other words, God has given us a capacity beyond what the teacher can command attention for. So our, your mind is always going to be drifting. Your students' minds are always going to be drifting. Our, part of our job as teachers is to reel it back. Okay, kind of you, you drift and we try to get you back. You drift, we try to get you back. There's just this constant kind of ebb and flow of focus. All right. Now, when you have visuals, your students are all going to focus on those things from time to time. It, it, you know, we would say it's passive learning, or it can be very active learning if you're actually using the visual in what you're doing. But if there's the Ten Commandments over here and the Lord's Prayers over there, those kinds of things, they're going to read those, assuming they know how to read, okay, whether you call those things to their attention or not. So my point is you want to have the passive learning visuals in your room because they'll teach. They'll constantly teach. Let me give you uh, another illustration. Of this. My mother grew up at First Presbyterian Church in Chillicothe, Ohio. All right? And it, it was your classic downtown First Presbyterian Church from, oh my goodness, probably was founded in the early 18, oh maybe, yeah, 1800 or something, because Chillicothe was the first capital of Ohio even. I mean, Ohio became a state 1803. I, I bet you it's been there 200, it was 200 years. Anyway, you got the idea. It was built before the automobile uh, was in existence, or automobile was in the English vocabulary. Okay, no parking lot, zero nada. Okay, just right on the corner. There it is. No side. Just there it is. Okay. Well, so she grew up going to that church, and in and um, she left in 1942 to work in the war effort. She graduated from college. Went anyway. You got a little history there, but anyway, so. Then after the war, got married, never went back, really. 1948, the building burned. Okay? And the, the church fathers at that time thought, this is our chance to get a parking lot. <laughs> we are going down the street here and get a piece of land and build a modern building and stuff like that. And they never rebuilt the church. But all of her life, my mother could tell you what every one of the stained glass windows was in that sanctuary. Okay, and I asked her one time, I said, how did you know that? Because, you know, she could go down each side and tell you, and it wasn't real hard because they were biblical characters. It was like there was the Abraham window and the Moses window and the Peter window and the, you know, so it wasn't, you know, a lot of real symbolic art. It was this kind of biblical looking person kind of thing. You got the idea. Um, and, um, she said, well, we, meaning she and her brother and sister, we, and she'd hang her head, she said, we looked at the windows during the sermon. <laughs> now, what's going on? Here's, you know, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. As they're growing up, going there, they're looking at these windows all the time, and just by sheer ex repeated exposure, learn them. Now, that drives home the point of the visual. Now, another way to handle visuals that I learned from a teacher is to have a place in your room for the present visuals that you're going to use. Okay, so let's say you're teaching David and Goliath, we talked about, and you got the David and Goliath pictures or whatever you're doing. Okay, You've got that present section. You have a post-visuals section. Maybe that's over here. These are visuals you used last month. 
you know, they're, they're reviewed. Okay, and then you have the pre-visuals. Here's the, this is what we're going to do next month. Okay, next month is Saul, okay, King Saul. And, and, and over here is Moses from before. So, and this teacher cycled the thing. So they'd go from preview to present to post and constantly moving them. And then they could see, you know, they could come over here and say, now, next month, boys and girls, we're going to be da 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 and here we're doing this, this, and remember, here's review. You can review using the ones over here. So that was another good technique that I learned from a teacher about visuals. So think about visuals and how you're utilizing them. Um, just some simple things that you know churches can do. Ten Commandments, post them around the building, different rooms. Lord's Prayer, you know, post the 23rd Psalm. Some of these classic things, Beatitudes you know, whatever, 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 get them, get them made up, get them framed, get them, and move them around from time to time, because, you know, if you've got the Ten Commandments here and the Lord's Prayer there, boys, try switching them. After a week or two, somebody's going to say, who moved them around? What's going on here? You've piped their attention. They're looking, they're reading, they're, and that's how you know. You don't even have to refer to it. So take them down. Don't throw them away. Take them down, put something else up. Get them out again in six months. You want to rotate these things around. Um, or if you've got stained glass windows, you just got them. Until <laughs> the building burns. Yeah. Um, the whole thing. So anyway, you got the idea here. We've got to work on our rooms. We've got to work on getting ourselves ready to teach. Okay, then the third area here that we have to work on is getting our lesson ready. Right? Now, for most of us as teachers, you know, we're constantly thinking, boy, I've got to be, get prepared for class. got to be ready for what we're going to do. So let's talk about lesson preparation. Um, think about your curriculum for a minute. I mean, that's the, the things you guys buy from Great Commission or whatever curriculum you're using. The, 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 okay, the, the, uh, the teacher's guides, the, you know, the charts, the student handouts, all those kinds of things. You, you want to use those things to guide you in what you're doing. All right? Now, when I say guide you, I want you to remember you're teaching God's Word okay, under the guidance and direction of the Spirit of God as the teacher with your students. The curriculum is to help you do that. Right? So don't get that curriculum confused with the Bible and, and help your students to remember, wait a second, we're teaching the Bible. I'm not teaching this teacher's guide. All right, see the difference? Now, you know, I'm not opposed to you taking the teacher's guide to class with you. I personally don't like that because it's just cumbersome for me. I, I'm one of these people that has to, I take it all and I put it on tablet paper and write it out, you know, so I've got my own vocabulary and rendition and, you know, it, it's also a, a, a planning technique. It helps me to internalize what I'm doing better when I'm writing it out and doing those kind of things. But you know, I know people that write all over their teacher's guide and sideways. I, I, can't, I can't do that. Or they highlight things in there. And how do you read this? Well, it makes sense to them. That's the point. Okay. The tablet paper makes sense to me. If you, you know, if you put file cards, I, some, I don't know. Maybe you can memorize it all. You're a miracle worker. <laughs> I can't do that. I, I've got to have notes and I got to have plans because I get confused otherwise. But the point being, the curriculum is your guide. Now, as much as I'd like every Sunday school in the United States, Canada, and around the world to use our curriculum, they don't. <laughs> okay. 
God is successfully enabling people to teach the Word of God without Great Commission curriculum. It's been going on for hundreds of years without us. It goes on all over the world without us, or with any curriculum for that matter, um, because God is at work through teachers and his word in students' lives. Right? And so utilize these tools that we furnish to you, the timeline, the teacher's guide, the student handout, whatever those kinds of things. They're tools in your hand to teach God's inerrant, inspired word. All right? So... That's a little bit about curriculum. Anybody want to ask me anything about the curriculum? Anybody have a curriculum question? Yes. If you just look in the, did you get one of these? It's the last few pages. It starts with two-year-olds, and the further you go, the older it gets. <laughs> That's the basic concept. So in the back, there's, there's all kinds of adult. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if they've had it for three years, see, we are on a two-year cycle. So obviously, that's kind well, of idiosyncrasy. Well, you know, and in those cases, since you know that as a teacher, you know, it's going to take some more preparation for you to go a little beyond that. Are you familiar, like, if you've got the, what, four and five-year-olds, okay, are you familiar with our coloring book? Okay, because that'll give you supplementary. It's a totally reproducible coloring book, and there's a lesson, there's a coloring sheet with activities that goes with every lesson. Okay, and it's reproducible. So if you, t okay. it's it's perforated. Make, okay. Okay. Yeah, don't don't color the master. Then you're. <laughs> it's not. It's it's how we sell more coloring books. But <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead and color the masters. You know. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but uh, some more of those. But anyway, that would give you some supplementary things that the children have not had before um, to deal with that, and then also. You know, another thing to do is, is work more on, you know, bringing some additional, you know, Bible into the, um, into the lesson that maybe is not fully developed in the lesson plan. And that's just where you're going to have to prepare as a teacher, given that you know your students. Okay. Um, so any other curriculum issues, questions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How much time do you have for class? Yeah. That's part of the... I mean, you're describing some, some uh, hard, hard points. Like, the, we would say probably that your six-year-olds are just the absolute minimum to do this age-wise. We would be coaching you to probably go with a little older child, but you've got them there, so you've got to adjust. Okay, I'm not saying that you're doing something sinful, okay? But, you, but you gotta, you're, you're going into it going, wait a minute, these six-year-olds are going to have a harder time with this, okay? And you got to compensate for that. And then the 45 minutes, we'd be saying, well, you know, this is really needing about an hour to do this. So, you know, you've got some constraints. But, again, those things ought not to discourage us, but to recognize, wait a minute, we're teachers. That's why we're here. We're here to minister to the students and make this as time effective as we can. And to recognize, like with this Pilgrim's Progress or some of these Bible lessons that we're teaching, there's going to be another time to do it. And they're children. Okay? And the repetition is critical. One of the things with Pilgrim's Progress, it, our goal in creating that was that a child could experience that maybe twice during their elementary years because one of the goals is to get the kids to read the book on their own at home. Okay? Do you have the student packs with the books and everybody's got a paperback book and all that kind of stuff? Well, 
Obviously, your six-year-olds aren't going to be reading it too well, okay? But your 10 and 11-year-olds, they ought to be reading it pretty well because it's written for them to read. It's a chapter book and everything. So I, I tried it on my second-grade grandson. I said, can you read this? I wanted to see. He just sat down and started reading it. I didn't understand the meaning of all the words, but he could pretty well read it, okay? His kindergarten brother sat beside him. He couldn't read it at all. He liked pictures, but he didn't want his big brother to stop reading it. He, he got engaged enough in the storyline. So anyway, you're dealing with the, all those dynamics of teaching children, and that doesn't necessarily solve your problem, but simply to say, yeah, you got a normal group. <laughs> and, yeah, I think that's a good reminder. They are learning, okay? And you mean one of the reasons to teach Pilgrim's Progress to children is so that you introduce them to that so they can deal with it more as they get older, okay? And again, you know, I go to a lot of conferences, and we have an exhibit of these things. Folks, you cannot imagine how many adults going to good, solid, we would say, evangelical, Bible-believing, even PCA churches have never heard of Pilgrim's Progress. They are absolutely clueless. And I tell, they say, what's this? And I explain it to them. And they go, that's interesting. It's written in 1600, John Bunyan, interesting. I said, do you, do, are you aware that this is second to the Bible, the most published book in the English language? And they go, where have I been? <laughs> well, guess what? Nobody taught them, okay? I mean, we're dealing with, this, the, other than the Word of God, the most published book ever in the English language, still today. Wow. And, and we have gazillion millions within the Bible-believing evangelical Protestant world never heard of it. Well, part of what we're trying to do as a publisher is say, let's introduce children to this so that they hear about it and start learning the value of this great thing. You all heard of Charles Spurgeon, him, the, the great uh, British Baptist preacher? He says he read Pilgrim's Progress every year. And if you've ever read any of his sermons, it's just full of references to Pilgrim's Progress. Now, he doesn't quote it or cite it, but the, the context and the, the things that happen in Pilgrim's Progress, you think, yeah, this guy's mind was saturated with Pilgrim's Progress. Year after year after year after year after year, he read it. So anyway, you got the point. All right. It's about God at work in this guy's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've done some things with that map and the glossary that really is, again, geared to helping the children in the longer range. I mean, I've had pastors buy the book and the map because they want the map and, and the glossary. Right, right. And again, think long term. Get the big picture here. You're, you're turning their attention to the Lord. You're, they're getting some idea of what Pilgrim's Progress is about. And for Dan, when he went to Sunday school, you would have succeeded. <laughs> okay. I was there and kind of got something out of it. Okay. All right, let's go on here. Um, letter B here. We need to know our lesson aim and our lesson context. Okay. Now, we spent some time talking about context when we were doing the, the earlier workshop on God-focused and Christ-centered teaching. You know, we need to know the broad context of the Bible, uh, within the Bible, and the whole Bible, 
and the chapter and the book of the Bible, context is king. That's the way we tend to say it when we're teaching this kind of thing. So you've got to know the context to get that bigger picture so you can fit in what you're teaching with everything else is the idea there. And you need to know your lesson aims. Right? If you don't have an aim for your class, for your lesson, okay, and we'll call this your aim, it's going to be tough sledding. Okay? If you don't know where you're going, what's the goal, what's the aim, all right? Maybe you're down here, okay? If you don't know where you're going, where you want to take the class, it's going to be hard to sort out and organize in a logical way what you're doing in the class. And by having an aim, you're then able to apply some logic to teach that. Now, let me just illustrate with you what I'm talking about. All right, here would be a clear lesson aim, okay, with logical steps in the process. And, you know, we step one, two, three, four, oh, five. I mean, there's nothing magic about the five. Maybe you've got three or six or two or something, okay. Um, now, if you don't have a logical lesson plan, or a logical flow to the lesson to get you step by step to what you're trying to teach, here's what it looks like. It isn't that you don't have class. I'm just trying to picture it for you. Here's your class. All right? And there you end because you ran out of time. It isn't that you didn't have class. It isn't that you didn't do some Bible study. But what really got taught, I'm not sure. Now. What's the typical child going to be asked by the typical adult driving them home from Sunday school? Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, if, if you've got this going and there's a, there's a central aim, a main goal, there's going to be a better chance of some of this going on than this. And if the child says, now, by the way, the typical, at least boy, is going to say to answer that question, I don't know. <laughs> or they'll, they'll, they'll make some monosyllabic sound. <laughs> kind of shrug their shoulders. <laughs> and you go, what? <laughs> don't know that language. <laughs> okay. All right? The girls may be a little more articulate. I don't know. I didn't have any sisters growing up. It was just three boys in the back seat going, <laughs> making noises. <laughs> okay. For those of you parenting boys, boys, you understand what I'm talking about. Okay, you got the idea here, all right? It isn't you didn't have class, but they really don't know what they did get. But they'll let us off the hook. They won't say to mom and dad, you know, mom, dad, Mr. Dan was really confused today. He didn't have a clear lesson plan to accomplish his aim. So when we had class today, it was pretty meaningless. They're not going to say that. They'll just say, I don't know, I didn't get it or whatever. And you, you have to encourage parents to ask follow-up questions. Well, what Bible character did you study, or what doctrine did you learn, or what did you pray about? You know, you got to ask those follow-up questions, that kind of thing. So, anyway, know your aim. Okay, know where you're going. Right, know the bigger context. We've talked about those kinds of things. Now, let's go on here, and another thing we need to do is prepare our resources. Now, when I talk about resources, I'm talking about the right on board, the marker the handout, the visual aid, all right, the timeline, the student handout, whatever kinds of resources you're going to use. 
students are supposed to bring their Bibles. That's one of your resources. Or if you have Bibles in class for the kids, have them in class. I'm a firm believer in, you know, having the scriptures either in class for the kids to look at or have them bring in their own Bibles, that kind of thing. Get them in the habit of looking the stuff up, finding it, learning the way around the Bible. If, if somebody asks me, well, Dan, how would you learn to look up things in the Bible? I'd go, I have no idea. I just somehow learned it somewhere, somehow, at home, at Sunday school. I don't know. See what I'm saying? But somebody's got to teach them to do this stuff. If we never give them Bibles and help them do this and find their way around in here, it'll just be this very confusing book. What is this Jeremiah stuff? And the top of this page says Daniel, and over here says Luke. What? Back here it says Second Samuel. What in the world? It would make no sense. Okay? So help your kids utilize these resources. And, and you know, if you're going to have scissors for the kids or if you're going to do file cards with adults, you've got to get all this stuff figured out. Don't assume it's all going to be taken care of. Now, I have a theory about these markers. Do you ever come to use these and they're not here? I have a theory. Here's my theory. We good Presbyterians, we buy our markers. And then the Baptists come and take them from us. <laughs> they sneak in here during the week and take our markers. Okay? Now, the thing you don't know is the method of stealing from the Baptists. Okay? And the independent Baptists get them from the Methodists. And on and on and on it goes until they ultimately work their way back to office, Max, and we buy them again. <laughs> Anyway, I've got my own markers and I bring them from home because I've gotten burned too many times. Either the markers aren't here or they're all dried up and worn out. And if I'm planning to write on this, you know, at home, I bring my own markers, okay? And, you know, if I'm doing handouts, I get those things figured out and I bring them, I don't count on the copy machine working at the office on Sunday morning when I show up because if it's broken or locked or something, I'm like, oh, man, I'm counting on this thing, and the class ain't going to go so well, okay? All those kinds of issues. And, you know, anyway, so you get your resources lined up. Um, I've had too many, you know, false liftoffs, you know, or aborted liftoffs because my resources weren't lined up. So I've learned. Letter D, talk about managing your time with a clear lesson plan, okay? Now, if you think about here we are, here's the goal, there's the plan, all right? This needs to be laid out and thought through so that it helps you accomplish your goals. And that's what I'm saying when, we, when you need to have a clear plan, all right? And if you think about this and manage it in terms of how much time is another way to help break this down. I'm gonna spend five minutes on this, 10 minutes on this, two minutes on that, 11 minutes on this, four minutes on this, and the next thing you know, it's 45 minutes later. That's what I'm, doing, uh, what I'm saying. Is manage these step-by-step, step, think how much time. Can you get this done in that amount of time? Okay. Um, when, I, when I've taught children before, and, and my children were still in our home, I'd practice with them. And, they, and I'd say, come on, you guys, I've I got to have you do this activity. Are we having Sunday school, Dad? It's only Thursday. You know? <laughs> yes, yes, okay. And, do, and I'd time it, and I'd see it. And I thought, man, it took them eight minutes to do this. Ooh, I don't have that much time to do this. How, how am I, what am I going to do? Okay. Or, you know, if they're 
futzing with it, and they go, I don't understand how you fold this. Okay, that's teaching me some. So practice with this stuff and you know, figure out how you're going to do or do some of these things. Uh, plan your time. Yeah, Bill. yeah. Yeah, if Bill's doing this with it, going, I'm not quite sure how this works. You go, oh, man, these third grade boys, they're going to have real problems with it if Bill can't figure it out. All right, so you got the idea. Now, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, one of the techniques to do with that is to have an additional activity to give to the child that gets it done too, faster, if you can do that. That's a possible solution, okay? And also, another solution is to spend your time, I'll say coaching me, <laughs> What was one of the kids going, I don't get this, okay. Helping me, recognizing these other kids are going to kind of get it on their own and do it. So you're giving a little more attention to these kids. And then also another technique is to recognize these kids may just not get it all done. And that's, but they got it half done, and half's better than nothing, okay. And that's part of what we're dealing with here, is we go with what we can do, okay. I mean, if you stop and think about pastors preaching, he's dealing with the same thing with all of us. Okay, some of us are getting it, some of us are going, I don't get where this guy's coming from, where did he come up with this, okay, and everything in between, all right, and how does he ad adjust, you know, he's trying to teach and preach in a way that he can get it to most of the people, and also to say to the people, come on, join us, let's go, we're going to press on together, and that's part of what we're saying to the kids, you know, don't worry about it, you know, half's better than nothing, come on, it's it's, it's like memorizing scripture. You know, we, we struggle through, we get the half the verse right, okay, that's, we keep pressing on, straighten it out, adjust our theology as we go along, this kind of thing. So, uh, you know, again, part of it is, is we're teaching kids, and they need a lot of repetition, a lot of review. Um, when we're, when, whenever we're teaching, um, let's see if I can draw this. You notice there's a gap here. That's part of what we're always doing as teachers is we're filling in the gaps for people. Okay. Wouldn't it be nice to go back to what, seventh grade grammar again? Yeah, I think we'd all learn a lot as adults. Think about what we missed. I mean, I'm still sorting out some of that kind of stuff as an adult. You know, is, do, do, do I use the word less or fewer? What's the correct English use of that word and that terminology? Or well or good? Well, we're still sorting that stuff out. So, we're, you know, we're still filling in these gaps, and that's part of what we're doing as teachers. Okay, so let's say you're teaching, and, and you get this. Next year, the teacher comes along and gets this. And this. And the next year it comes along, you get this and this and this and this. And see what I'm saying? We're constantly editing and helping kids sort this stuff out. And part of what we want to do is we want to create an environment where we're discipling these students. Because think about Jesus and his disciples. Was he filling in the gaps with them all the time? They weren't getting it. 
there was this review, this reminder, this fill in, and ah, Spirit of God enlightened them, and you, and you move on. So that's a kind of a long answer to how you do that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And that gets at a critical thing. Remember, we are discipling people. Okay? We are discipling people. We're not teaching lessons. We are making disciples, not teaching lessons. I'm trying to help you think that through with several different vocabulary words. Okay? And that's part of what I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but Jennifer's getting at. We're here to disciple the kids or the students, children, adult, whatever you're teaching. Okay? And that is a process that we are engaged in with them in walking with the Lord together, drawing their attention to Christ together, loving them as unto the Lord. Folks, that's what Christianity is about. We're not some programmed instruction class where we don't care. Okay? And we, as long as you get through and get your sticker and move on, and, no, that's not Christianity. Okay? We are in doing this together. The unity of the body of Christ, the functioning of the body together, loving one another, praying for one another, serving one another. That's all a part of being a Christian. Okay? Now, you know, we live in this continually increasing high-technology, low-touch world, they say. Well, guess what? We're not low-touch in the church. We're high-touch. Okay? Try calling your pastor, you know, when you're in an ICU. And the guy says, I'll text you. No. Get your body there and be the pastor. Okay? Well, you know, that's part of being the teacher. You know, we don't text our students. We might text them as a technique in discipling them. But we shepherd, we pastor, we help, we pray, we teach, we all those kinds of things as teachers. So let's get on here with, the, with the managing lesson planning because this will get into what Jennifer's talking about too. You, you break this down, again, some logical steps, think this through. You need some pre-session plans, right? Now, what I mean by pre-session plans is that's from whenever you show up here on Sunday until you really start class. Now, I noticed on the sign, Sunday school is before worship, right? Okay, everybody's got that straight, just make sure. <laughs> okay, everybody's coming the right time, okay? And daylight savings time's coming, so make sure you get that straightened around, okay? All right, so... Pre-sessions, I'll say, from the time you show up here till class starts. You drink your coffee, you yik-yak with whoever, you, you pray with the teacher across the hall. You, I'm not sure what you do. Get your room ready, get your handouts, or whatever. But that's pre-session. You need to plan that. That's what I'm driving at. Don't just show up and think, man, why am I scrambling so much? This may mean you need to come another 10 minutes earlier to kind of get this all ready. So that in essence, when you get to number two, you're there waiting for the students all ready to go, and you're wondering, where is everybody? You know, maybe the Lord came or something, and I missed him or something. I don't know what's happening here. Maybe they canceled church today, but you're ready. That's the idea. Okay? Then step two, that's what I call, you know, we use the term welcome step or your get started step. We use different terminology for that concept. But that's where you engage with the students, like Jennifer's talking about. You need some relational connection here because they're arriving, 
you know, the kids get the hug, they get their name tag, they're, here's what we're doing today, da 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 And they get to interact with each other and with you, and, and there's this dynamic, because we're people, all right? And there's, there's a dynamic that needs to take place, and that's where you, you would introduce what you're going to teach, okay? Kind of, this is the warm, here's the big idea, here's where we're going today. But you're not really into the content, you're, you're way down here. Okay, everybody's kind of here, okay, we're, now we're kind of getting, stepping into this. Right. Then step two, I'll say, you know, looking on the list here, could be your Bible time, okay, and uh, or your, you know, your teaching time or your sermon or the lesson or the I don't know all kinds of you know synonyms for this, okay. But this is where you're going to teach the passage for the day. You're going to whatever, okay. So that's your instruction time. The reason you want to do that up front is because you want to try to capture the kid's attention right at the beginning, and then everything else in the lesson comes off of that. Right? That's why you, you do it early uh, in your, as you step along. So Bible teaching is going to be up here in the, in the front. Okay? Now, step four on your handout I call explore and apply. All right? And what that basically deals with is that's review and application and reinforcement of what you just did in, in the Bible time or the teaching time. All right? And th what you're doing in the Bible time is you're addressing the question of, you know, what does the passage say? Okay. That's one of the questions you're going to deal with there. And then you're also dealing with what does the passage mean? Okay, what's it say? What's it mean? And what it say, when, you, when you're talking about what it says, you're trying to just deal with the facts. If you can break it down like this in your own mind, it, it makes it easier to teach. David, Goliath, the Philistines, the army of Israel, the sword, the spear, the javelin, the slingshot, the stones, the da 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 There's the facts. Now, if this is all we do in our Bible teaching, along about third grade, the, the children that have been around for a while are going to say, we've heard all this before, and they have. So don't dwell on this. All right? Don't kill them by going over these facts over and over and over on nauseam. You'll bore them. Okay? What you want to do is start asking the question, what do these facts mean? How do we interpret those facts? So don't just keep observing the facts over and over and over again, but move on to this. Okay? And then the next, as you think about this explore and apply, you're dealing with uh, how does the passage apply? And most of our students, as well as most of the adults that you'll ever teach, are in short supply here. The longer people have been around evangelical, Bible-believing, fundamental, Presbyterian, PCA kind of churches, they are tanked up here. We've got the facts. How are we doing? James 1.22. Be doers of the word. King James. <laughs> Be ye doers of the word. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay. 
What's the sin we're being warned about there? What is it? What's the sin? Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What's the sin to repent of there? Yeah. What else? Self-deception. Deceiving yourselves. That's what the verse is warning about. Self-deception. That's a t- All the self-sins are wicked sins. And that, well, I should say, every sin's a wicked sin. <laughs> now I'm thinking about it. But self-deception, folks, is a major sin problem in our circles. Big time. Biggie, biggie sin. Big gulp sin. Whatever you want to call it. Self-deception. People are self-deceived. Am I beating the pulpit hard enough here? We've got to warn our students. Boys and girls, those are your fifth and sixth, third graders. You've been around a while. You know about David and Goliath. You got those facts. How you doing? What are you doing about that? It's the application of these things. And they're going to look at you cross-eyed. Okay? What are you talking about? And you say, you may be loaded with self-deception. You think everything's fine. I know the facts. Folks, I've taught enough. I've preached enough in prisons. You ever been in a prison where they lock the doors behind you? It's a pretty daunting experience, okay? Folks, there are tons of people in the prisons that learned a bunch of this stuff before they got to prison. It's a problem. It's application. So we've got to help our students apply what they know to be in the Bible and how we interpret that. What do we do with that? Applied doctrine is what we're talking about here. That's a lifetime process of asking those questions. What does this verse tell me about how to play soccer? What's this verse tell me about doing my homework? What's this verse tell me about how to relate to my boss when he's unjust? See what I'm saying? What's this verse teach me about how to pray for the president? Those are the kind of things we have to help our students take the word of God and apply it, all right? Ask ourselves those kinds of questions. So that gets cranked into, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to give you some synonymous ways of looking at some of these steps in the, le- in the lesson plan so you can break it down in your own mind and kind of think it through a little bit. Um, so Then back to your handout here, you have a final focus. That, that would be kind of your wrap-up, your review, your whatever kind of thing. And it, 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 maybe you have a closing song that you always sing. Don't try that with the adults, but it might work. I don't know. But, you know, if you're teaching kindergartners, you know, kind of got this same little song you sing every week. By the end of the year, they'll, most of them have learned it. <laughs> okay, that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, think through how you're going to end the class, okay? Just like you got a welcome step, you need to, to, to welcome it. you got to start well, you got to end well, all right? Um, well, I'll give you... Illustration. I, I was doing a, an evaluation of a church Sunday school one time, which I thought was a little interesting. It's, you know, we're bringing in this guy from Great Commission Publications to observe and analyze what's going. Oh man! <laughs> Fortunately, it was a, it was a church where they had these slit windows, so I could see in and not have to go in the room. So I could see and hear and stuff like that. And uh, but I I observed one of the, one of the best things I've ever seen for a final focus. It was, it was in the first grade room, and the kids all sat on the floor in a circle. 
right? Kind of, you know, you can sit, see him sitting there. The teacher's sitting on the floor with him. There's this man. And in his pocket, he had this little notepad book. It was the class prayer book, prayer journal. And he got that out, and they're going around the room, and he's writing down prayer requests. And he's flipping back, going, how about the answer to this one, Bill? How about the answer to this, Susie? How about the answer to that? Whatever. Okay. And then, they, and then they had prayer. And he's teaching the kids how to pray conversationally, out loud together. Again, teaching them, because a bunch of them, I don't know, you know, whatever. And he's trying to help them to teach with focus in their prayers. We're going to pray prayers of thanksgiving. We're going to pray prayers of confession. We're going to pray prayers of, you know, supplication. He's trying to teach them all this stuff about prayer, first graders. And, and his little prayer book. And I said to the children's director, I said, they do this all the time. Every week, that's just part of the, the final thing. They have this little prayer circle thing. There were, there were maybe six or eight kids in the class, something like that. It wasn't a big group. And anyway, I just thought in my mind, I thought, you know, the child's there 45 Sundays out of the year. Get 45 of those prayer meetings. I could take that as an adult. I thought, you know, if they did that for two or three years, maybe get a hundred of those kind of things. I think I think we get some make some progress with kids learning how to pray. Okay. See what I'm driving at? So that that was a final focus. I I I had this friend that she she could they say she could play her guitar and sing and lead kids all at the same time and breathe. I just how people do that, I don't know. Maybe you're one of those kind of people. But anyway, her name was Mars. Taught me a lot about teaching. And uh, anyway, she had, this, she had these little chorus songs that she taught the kids. And that was part of their final thing. She'd get, grab her guitar and they'd sing these little choruses. And, and then she'd have prayer. As a key. And that was just how they ended every week after week. After week. Well, the repetition of that really drove the those biblical truths home to the kids through those songs. Anyway, do you think about how you're going to do fi your final focus and review? And if you think about this, you, you teach the Bible, you teach your lesson, you do the application, the exploration, you're going to review the Bible content at least probably two more times there, and you review it again real quick in the final focus. The kids are going to have three, four most likely kind of reviews, refocused, on that main Bible content, that, those main truths. And some of them, you know, some of them won't get it the first time, some of them the second, some of them will get it the third time, some of them will get it the fourth time, some of them will never get it, okay? But that's okay, you know, they're there. What a better place for, you know, kids to be than with you for 45 minutes in Sunday school? Yeah, I could think of one or two maybe better places, but <laughs> not too many, okay? You got the idea. And uh, especially if they're not Christians, what a better place for a non-Christian child to be than with you for 45 minutes on a Sunday morning in a class being taught the Word of God or reading Pilgrim's Progress or being around Christians. Okay, you got the idea. Um, number six, think of your post-session plan. Okay, just like you had pre-session, everything you got to do to get started. You got to do kind of as after class ends, what do you do? You pick up, straighten up, you got to get ready for worship, whatever. Plan that. Okay, plan, okay, I'm going to talk to one child a week, or I'm going to you know, visit with the adults or whatever kind of things you're doing uh, with your class. But plan basically what's going on. Now, all of this needs to be done under the guidance of the Spirit of God. 
and your sensitivity as a teacher to your students. Okay, um, I, I never forget. I was teaching three-year-olds one time, and this little boy threw up, right in class on the rug. Poor guy was sick. I, I, that wasn't in my lesson plan anywhere. Boy throws up. Ruins lesson plan. Don't do anything else you planned that day. That was not what I was, that wasn't in there, okay? And the classic was, you know, we, we got the parents, we got him cleaned up, got the, and all, oh, you can imagine how the place smelled and, you know, all this, it was just unreal. Stuff like that. And I've, you know, we're, I'm trying to get going again with some sense of something, okay? And this little girl comes up to me, you know, this three-year-old. Mr. Dan, it smells bad in here. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. She says, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, that's not in my lesson plan. <laughs> all right, all that is to say you need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and to your students. And see, what happens is if you've got a lesson plan, okay, and you're going along here and something happens, Okay, if you've got a lesson plan, you can kind of get back on track. Okay, if you don't have a lesson plan, this this kind of thing's going to happen here, and you're going to follow the the green road. <laughs> okay, if you don't have a plan, because believe me, there will be some boys in the class like me. If you don't have a lesson plan, I'll have a lesson plan, and I'll take over. Okay, and my mother, if she was here, she would attest. Yes, you know if if. If there wasn't anybody in charge, and it was apparent to Dan no was in, in charge, he would start bossing everybody. Okay, and I would do that. I'm sure I, I'm sure I did that as a child because my mother told me I did. I didn't realize it as a child. And so if you if you as a teacher weren't prepared and on top of things, no problem. Dan will take over. Okay, and he'll run the class. And then there's this tug of war with you as to who's running the class. Okay, so. There'll be students like that that will gladly take over, okay, if you're not going to have a plan and execute it and work it, what's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and again, they'll be like me. I had no idea I was doing it. I just, you know, I'm, I just am one of these kind of guys. I see something not being done right or one, I just step in and we're going to, okay, I'll tell everybody what to do and how we're going to do this, and, da, 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 and off we go. And that doesn't always work well because whoever's in charge doesn't like me running things, okay. <laughs> So anyway, the, the point is here, we need to be prepared teachers. We need to kind of you know, wrap this up here. We need to get ourselves ready. Talked about that a little bit ago. We need to get our rooms ready. We need to get our lesson plans ready. All right? And there's lots of little details in here. And my prayer for you is that you will see one or two or three of them and go, okay, I need to work on the visuals. I need to work on the final focus. I need to, okay, that's what I'm going to work on. The rest of the stuff, just throw it away. Because, <laughs> you know, ask God to help you implement in two or three of these things over the next year or six months or three months or whatever, you know, tomorrow, next week, okay, this is what I'm going to work on. And focus on those things and don't try to do all this stuff, you know. Maybe something from one of the other workshops, something from last night, you got three, four, five things to do. That's plenty, okay. And not, not uh, try to get on some kind of a performance program that you're going to do all this. Well, I tell you. Spend the rest of your life working on all these things. So, yeah. Let's pray. We'll dismiss. Again, if you need a catalog, they're up here, and we'll head on home. Thanks, Father, for the, your goodness to us, to allow us to 
reason together this morning about how to be more effective teachers. Pray, Father, you'd help us to remember the two or three things that uh, you want us to take home and really work to implement. We ask, Father, that your spirit would show us how to do that and give us the ability to, to change and adjust as we need to and to be reminded of what we need to be diligent about. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to have a part in your ministry of reconciliation. What a privilege it is, Father, to be allowed to teach your word and have that responsibility. I pray, Father, that we would be faithful about that for your glory and for the benefit of our students. In Christ's name I pray.